Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with me, Ned Keating. I'm joined this morning by Reese Daly as we digest football's biggest talking points. Um, Reese, we've got plenty to get our teeth into this morning. Obviously, Chelsea struggling again. Uh, some big FA Cup shocks as well. Carabao Cup quarterfinals taking place this week. Um, but one place to, that, that we can really start is with Gareth Bale. Uh, announced his retirement from professional football yesterday at the age of 33. Um, a phenomenal career, so many trophies, so many great moments. It, it, it's he's probably one of he won't be regarded as the best player of our generation for sure. But for, for us of a certain vintage of a certain age, we'll look back in 20, 30 years and we'll say that he was one of the best players of this generation. Not so much the best, but definitely in in the category and 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 his trophies and and everything else he's achieved are a testament to that. Yeah, absolutely. I've always been a massive fan of Gareth Bale, even though there's no personal connection. He's not English, never played for my club. Um, but I just love that he went out to Real Madrid when, when the deal came about and he he smashed it for a long time. And when it when we do step back from what happened in the last few years, as you said, we'll remember him as one of the top top five players for, for a period, probably the top four players uh, of his generation. But it did sour towards the end. But looking at the at the bigger picture now, he's greatest British export, in my opinion, winning five Champions Leagues and the only player to score two winning goals, two Champions League finals. So for me, one of the greatest we've seen, as we said, the last few years, not been pretty at times, but stepping back from it, then he can, he can be very, very proud of what he's done. Uh, I will have to admit that I might be slightly biased in this next question as a, as a Tottenham fan and growing up at, at a time when, you know, we'll forget about when he played left back for us, you know, we'll, we'll just pretend that that was just like a kind of fever dream or like Dallas where it was all just a shower scene in, in that, you know, in that weird season. We'll, we'll, forget, we'll pretend that never happened. But when he advanced, when he moved forward, he, he, uh, he became such a great player for Tottenham. Obviously, he took that on to Real Madrid. Is he the greatest British player of all time? I mean, there's plenty of, of players to chuck in this argument. Even you know, even from Bale's own country, and Ian Rush, potentially John Charles, George Best as well, Kenny Dalglish. You know, great players down the years. But is Gareth Bale the best British player of all time? I think he's definitely in the mix. I think it's hard. We haven't really had a. There's not one I can think straight away that you think that's, no, it can't be because it's him. It's sort of in the pot, isn't he? And if he'd gone on the trajectory he was on at Real Madrid and, and won more league titles, and they didn't win that many league titles Real Madrid, I think he won three. But I feel like he's in the mix. I wouldn't, as much of a fan I am, I wouldn't stick my neck out and say, no doubt the greatest. to say export for what he's done abroad. But I also look at people like Kevin Keegan, won two Ballon d'Ors, and, and that's the level that Bale could have got to. Maybe that's what people hold against him, that, they wanted him to do more, that he could have gone on to be the next sort of Ronaldo or, or Messi, as Neymar could have done and didn't quite get to that level. And people might blame attitude, people might blame what happened with the Real Madrid fans and things like that. So I'd have him in the mix. I wouldn't stick my neck out, I don't think. And and just finally on, on Bale, before we move on to Chelsea, um, the qualifiers for Euro 2024, they're just around uh, the corner now. Obviously, Roberto Martinez was made Portugal boss yesterday. He's talking about including, or at least having a conversation to include Cristiano Ronaldo and his plans for Portugal going forward. Rob Page for Wales has now got to find a way to take Wales forward, continue Wales. I think he always had this plan. I think there was always a suggestion or, or there was talk around the World Cup at least that he wanted Bale to continue in the squad, maybe not have been a starter. So those, those plans were around there to have Bale coming off the bench to still be that influence around the squad. And I'm sure with plenty of time on his hands now, he can definitely do that. But it is that there is going to be a big hole in this Welsh team because not so much his 
his, ta- his talent was undoubted. But as even as his, his powers maybe waned in his later years and didn't have a World Cup that he would have wanted, he was still that big influential figure in this world's dressing room. And, and it's not so much the talent that they're going to have to replace, which of course they will undoubtedly, but it is that, that big character in the dressing room as well that's going to be a big loss for them going forward. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, his powers had waned on the pitch. We saw it at the World Cup. He wasn't able to pick up the ball and do everything himself like he was doing um, for Wales in his peak. He was sort of waiting for the chances to drop uh, rather than creating them himself. And I think there was a rebuild on for Wales, whatever happened with Bale's future. I think there's ageing players, there's, there's young players who haven't quite made the grade just yet. And it's going to be a big miss more for stature, probably in the dressing room. He's the one player where the youngsters would want to play for Wales. And He's a big name, isn't he, in world football? And missing that, maybe you could say it can help them. They could they could build a, a group together now, as they have done in the past, rather than just waiting for Bale or Ramsey to do something. But the rebuild was on there for Wales anyway, and at least it's all decided now, and Rob Page can move forward without him. Moving on from from Gareth Bale's uh, retirement, one other uh, big story from the weekend uh, and over the past few days has been the struggles of Chelsea, really. It's not been a, a good uh, period for Graham Potter pretty much since he, he took charge. Obviously, one uh, had, a, had a decent winning start to his time at Chelsea, but since then it could probably be described as downhill. And uh, two defeats to Man City this week, one in the Premier League, which leaves them well well back in the place for the top four places and probably scrambling to even make European places at this stage. Um well back in, in the Premier League, out of the FA Cup as well after you know, quite a humiliating 4-0 defeat. I know obviously there was, there was a few changes, a few young players in the Chelsea squad, but it's not been... The, the pressure has definitely been ramped up on, on Graham Potter in, in the last few days. What's, what, what's gone wrong for him at Chelsea? Is he a victim of the, the, the whole situation around the club at the minute that it is you know a, a new ownership board that are still trying to find their feet? He's now gone into the biggest job of his career as well, and the spotlight's all on him. Is it? Is it just a, a you know, an unfortunate mix of of all those kind of current issues that are around this job that are coming together at the wrong time for Graham Potter? Yeah, I don't think it's any one particular reason why it's not gone so well. Of course, they, yeah, they started one of their first three games in the league and looked like he was going to find his way quite quickly, but just a mixture of things. I mean, he can't seem to find his best eleven and. Can't really blame him for that. He didn't have a pre-season with him. There's so many new faces and he's got players coming in now that suddenly look like they should have been there since the, since the start of his reign. And he's always been a bit of a tinkerer, Potter. I know Brighton fans were frustrated at a time that he couldn't find his best 11. And if, if that's what Chelsea fans want, then he's not the right man to go and find a solid 11 straight away. It's, it's just not, not the sorts of things he does. But with the money flying at it as well, I think we're all sort of waiting at the moment to see if Todd Bowley is going to be similar to Roman Abramovich and that he'll chop and change. And... By the way, he's spending money and, and going getting in for players. You don't that doesn't scream, you know, waiting and waiting for the process. It screams you want you want results straight away. So you, I do feel for Graham Potter. He didn't have that pre-season. That's what that's sort of what happens, isn't it? And that's what the starts to be mentioned when it's not going so well for a manager. But the results have just been terrible. And the Premier League is quite strong in that mid middle of the table. I mean, there's teams around the midfield, teams like Fulham and Brighton. That's sort of the level Chelsea are going to have to be fighting for at the moment. The top four looks a long way away. And as I say, we're waiting to see what sort of owner Todd Bowley is going to be because I can't really see where it's going to, where the click's going to come from and how it's going to turn around for Potter at the moment. Just on, on Todd Bowley, how would you rate his uh, leadership of, of Chelsea and his, and his ownership of Chelsea so far? We were speaking before and I was expressing dismay still at the fact that they spent £250 million or whatever it was in the summer, had Thomas Tuchel so close to all of those transfer dealings. You know, we spoke uh, before we came live this morning about obviously even, you know, the, the kind of pinnacle of that 
spending obviously being Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, a player that Tuchel has worked with before, loves working with, um, pushed so hard to bring him in. And, and as I said there, Tuchel was so close to all the transfer decisions that were made in the summer. He was such a big war chest for six weeks into the season then to be sacked and it to be, oh, well, we thought that he wasn't going to be part of the long-term future of this club and, and we thought Graham Potter would be instead. That there smacked of someone who doesn't, who is still naive perhaps in football management, uh, ownership, sorry, still trying to get to terms with owning the football club. And it just seems like kind of every little bit since then, he had a big chance in the summer to get the Chelsea fans on side. They loved Roman Abramovich. They were sad to see him go, you know, you still hear his name being chanted at the weekend as well. You know, it shows, it shows the, the the respect that the Chelsea fans still had for him and his ownership and, and what he bought. It was always going to be tough for Todd Bowley to follow that, much like Graham Potter's finding it tough to follow a, a much-loved manager in Thomas Tuchel as well. But is Todd Bowley almost at every opportunity where he gets a chance to take the Chelsea fans on side and, and make them fall in love with him quickly, he's not taking those chances. Yeah, I think it's just one saving grace, isn't it? I mean, Todd Bowley was very vocal when he came into Chelsea and not so much of late. I know he's been juggling roles and, and moving things around and he, he has this dream of making a sort of a Man City type feel around the world of all these clubs, which which was seemed to be maybe Thomas Tuchel didn't didn't want to get involved with that so much. But I feel like yeah, money is his superpower, isn't it? I mean if he keeps spending money, it's it's hard for fans to criticize. But again, with Potter, I mean, does he act or does he not? I mean if it gets it's about how bad it gets really, isn't it? If Chelsea starts slipping to the bottom half of the table, then people are looking at Bowley and they they want him to make a decision. That's has been the way at Chelsea in the past. Not necessarily it's going to be his method, but the spending, is it just papering over the cracks? I mean, some of the names they've been linked with, are they really going to be able to knit the squad they've already got? They've got good players in there. The problem is finding a way for them all to play together at the moment, not really the personnel. And yeah, with the Bamiang, it, 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 it just looks like a mistake now, doesn't it? I mean, coming into to play with Tuchel, I think you played in the one Champions League game and then and then that was it. Um, Potter's going to try it. He's going to try, isn't he? Potter's going to try and get him in the team. But at the moment, there's a lot of work to do for Potter and... I hope he's got a good connection with Bowley because then they can work things out together. But who knows what's going on at the moment? They just need to pick up wins and it, everything apart from that will follow. does seem like we might have a few Chelsea fans in the comments as well watching along this morning. Uh, one of them, Papi Eka, uh, twice, <laughs> two, two comments. The first one saying sack Potter now and the second one saying Potter must leave within quick succession of each other. Um, but then as I say that and I flash that up on screen, we've got Craig Rothwell popping in as well with a comment saying that Potter is great and he must stay. Uh, I suspect that Craig might not be a Chelsea fan. I could be wrong there, Craig, and I do apologise if I am. But uh, um, I, I think the consensus among Chelsea fans is that they would like a replacement. The question is, Reese, who would take it? Mostly Pochettino is available and is the, the favourite with the bookmakers right now. But it's hard to see who else might be in the running for this job or at least available for this job should it come up. Yeah, that, that's an issue. I mean, it's an issue for every club at the moment that might be struggling. I think, I think a, a lot of the Chelsea fans do want to give Potter time, but it does. If things don't start getting better, then it will be just just a matter of, of games before there's a replacement. Pochettino one, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, for me, it still feels like Conte might move on from Spurs at some point, and Pochettino, I think he'd like the job back. I really do think he would. I mean. I've seen links um, Simeone under a bit of pressure today, and he was always one that was linked to, to Chelsea, wasn't he? So that might be in Potter's favour. There's no one really there sniffing for the job, you know, sitting in the Stanford Bridge, sitting in the Stanford Bridge stands, uh, waiting on in the background. That could that could buy him a bit of time in a way. But I do I do feel like Potter needs a bit more time. I feel like he deserves it. Maybe Chelsea can have one of them seasons where it's a bit of a gap season. Some clubs do that, don't they? And then they go go fire in the year after. But I think they should give him a bit more time. 
But maybe I'm just saying that as as a rival fan who's above Chelsea currently in the league. <laughs> exactly, and, and and you upset me there by saying that you you expect Conte to lead. I mean, I'm, I do agree with you as a Spurs fan. I think that's also a matter of time that that we won't be seeing Conte in the Tottenham dugout for for, for probably this time next year. He probably won't be there, uh, but hopefully we can keep him to the end of the season. And we've had another comment in about the Chelsea manager situation uh, from Mbilenle, uh suggesting that he's manifesting Zidane at Chelsea. That would be an interesting one. Obviously, Zidane in the news at the minute uh, after that. I think we can say slightly disrespectful phone call from uh, from the head of the uh, French FA suggesting that he wouldn't have picked up the phone to him. Uh, not the phone call, the comments even there. Um, but just finally on Chelsea, and, uh, and it does raise an interesting point um, that you mentioned about Diego Simeone perhaps being a uh, potential for Chelsea. Um, and that would be quite ironic or, or quite, you know... I might find a bit assured in Froda in it um, if he was to become Chelsea manager because, of course, the news yesterday that João Felix is heading to Chelsea on loan, we would expect a, a potential uh, option to buy there as well. And and the reason why João Felix is available is because he's fallen out of favour under Diego Simeone. So that would be an interesting reunion where it's happening in the summer at Stamford Bridge. But is João Felix what Chelsea need right now? You look at the squad, and again, this is something we discussed before we came up. We have lots of conversations before we come live. Um, but you look at the squad and, and Xavi Felix himself has said that he plays best as a second striker. Chelsea have a hatful of those at the minute. You touched on it there about Aubameyang coming in and not doing the job so far. You, you'd argue that that is probably the issue for Chelsea is goals right now. So rather than adding another second striker into the mix, they actually need someone who can lead the line effectively and finish off the chances that they do create. Yeah, Chelsea have a lot of playmakers that are underperforming at the moment who are de- desperate to create chances for a striker that's going to score them. But you've got Havertz in a false night, he's not going to be the man to do it. And you said Pulisic and even Sterling, they're underperforming. And Joel Felix going to that team, is he going to get it by the scruff of his neck and drag it forward? I don't don't think he is. Joel Felix is probably the sort of player where you could swap him in for anyone at City and he'd go and have, a, have an amazing season. But at Chelsea, it, it just feels like other people are interested and Chelsea thought, well, maybe we could, maybe we could grab hold of him. There was links to Arsenal, Manchester United as well. I don't. I don't really see it as the way forward for Chelsea, but he is a good player. I didn't work. Out. He's not. He's not an Atletico Madrid player. I think it was a strange signing initially. He, um, it's not the sort of team where he's going to flourish. He played well at the World Cup um, for Atletico. It hasn't really worked out. Should Chelsea be be the move for him? I don't think so. But who knows? Who knows? We've seen players come in. We're not expecting to do well and do well. So it's a matter of time on that one. Yeah, it's sure to be an interesting month for Chelsea uh, in the dugout and, and probably on the pitch too with, uh, with a few more additions expected. Reese, with the FA Cup as well uh, this weekend, uh, Chelsea have gone out. We've seen a few other shocks as well. Uh, probably most notably, Sheffield Wednesday getting the better of high-flying Newcastle. Uh, Aston Villa losing at home uh, to, I mean, to be fair, high-flying Stevenage as well in, in League 2, but but that's still a shock nonetheless. Uh, Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth both going out to Championship opposition too. Some nice little shocks in there, really, for the FA Cup, isn't it? It's nice that, that you know, kind of for all the talk and, and for everything else about whether or not, um, you know, I was kind of fearing whether or not teams would take it seriously this year. If it maybe had lost its luster because obviously coming after a, a World Cup and a packed, congested season, whether or not it'd get lost in the mix of it. But we still had some great stories from the weekend and it's always great to have these shocks to see what it means to these clubs lower down and their fans as well, for the players to have memories to hold on to and for the fans just to be in the stands, you know, you saw the scenes in the Stevenage away end at the weekend for sure. And and it's just great to see those moments still exist within this competition, which still has a place within the English game. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the magic, we talk about the magic of the FA Cup, and it's probably only something people are talking about now. It's not as strong as it, as it used to be, maybe. But I feel like the magic of the FA Cup is upsets, isn't it? And giant killings. And that, that's what makes it, as well as great goals and great players. But it's the shocks. It's the shocks that do it. And seeing the Stevenage fans and Steve Evans pumping his fist to them, that that is really what it's all about. And the more of them, the better, really. I think there's been a, a problem with Premier League teams, maybe seeing it as a break and... You can forgive them for seeing it that way, really. I mean, the Premier League points are so valuable and, and millions of pounds on every position in the Premier League. It's, it's got to be taken with, you know, the utmost... It's got Every every game's got to be taken like like an FA Cup final, basically. Um, so that's the benefits. It benefits the lower division teams and the more of that, the better, really. The more of these of um, the League 1 teams, League 2 teams getting further on, that's what's going to keep the FA Cup special. I was going to say, you look at the draw for round four... Um... And and there'll be a few teams, you know, probably for the two teams that we we both support, we're probably enjoying the fact that Man City are taking on Arsenal. So Man City have already put out one potential winner. They they could end up putting out another Arsenal to put Man City out, of course. But you said there about watching these teams get far from lower down the leagues. And we do have a couple of, uh, you know, there's an all-league one tie in, in Sheffield Wednesday against Fleetwood. The two of them probably don't want that tie. They probably get to this point at the cut kind of, oh, I'd like a big boy at home. But then you kind of look at it a bit more and you go, that's a nice winnable side for both teams. They're probably thinking of the opportunities that they've got going forward. And then they find themselves in the fifth round, potentially even bigger chance of hopefully getting one of the bigger fishes. And obviously a lot more in the, in the kitty as well, you know, even for these clubs in league one, league two, the money that they get from these cup runs are, are massive, isn't it going forward. And especially after the last few years that we've had where crowds weren't allowed in or crowds were reduced, that, that it's nice to have this money coming back into these clubs and, and obviously topping up their finances. Yeah, that, again, that's another one of the bonuses of the FA Cup. When you get a non-league team making the third round, that's huge. And you see the owners come out and say, don't they, that's our next year's budget done. Uh, what you don't want to see really is these, is these all Premier League ties. So that doesn't really benefit anyone. I know we've got City against Arsenal now. And it's a good tie. You think if City win that, though, you almost fear for everyone else. That they could be their, their route path through. Wouldn't it? At least hopefully Arsenal, if they don't win, then they give them a bruise in just to... <laughs> Give him a warning going forward. But um, yeah, my pick was uh, Wrexham versus Sheffield United as well. I think that's that's a really nice tie for Wrexham. I feel like they'll, they'll feel like they can go there. And despite Sheffield United playing well well times this season, I think Wrexham will fancy their chances. And it's those sort of games that you hope are on TV and you uh, you know it's going to be a packed house. It's going to be one of the biggest games of the season for, for all them fans, yeah. Of course, I mean, the, the funny thing about Wrexham is when you were saying about these non-league clubs getting to the third round going, that's our budget for next season. Wrexham probably have that already tied at the moment with all the, uh, all the revenue that's coming from their TV series earlier in the year, sponsorship and whatnot. Um, but in terms of the FA Cup, and you raise a good point there about all Premier League tyres, and, and I was kind of thinking about this before the weekend as well, in that you look at other cup competitions around Europe, you look at Germany, for example, and you look at uh, Spain, that there are up to a certain point you're not drawn against the Premier League teams cannot be or, or top flight teams, sorry, in those countries cannot be drawn against each other. Instead, they're drawn away to, to smaller teams. And I wonder if that's something that we could or, or maybe should be looked at being incorporated into, into the English game. I mean, of course, look, there was that famous um, or infamous, I think is probably the better word, incident uh, almost 20 years ago now. God, that's making me feel very old because that was from my childhood and I don't like that. Um, but when Farnborough drew Arsenal in the FA Cup and of course Arsenal was supposed to be going to Farnborough but Farnborough somehow managed to get it switched to, to Highbury and were still the home team so they made money from it and of course look, they made a lot of money from it they they you know, they did well over the over the years after that as well and, and reinvested the money um, you know prudently as, as it proved but in terms of maybe looking at that going forward so that we don't get these all Premier League ties so that we do get perhaps more shocks more upsets and again you know how great would it have been to see 
you know, some some of the bigger clubs that have drawn these teams going away to them instead, or, or at least more of a chance of them going to these smaller grounds and having to not having all the nice trappings that you expect to the Premier League grounds, at least anyway. Is it something that should be perhaps considered going forward? Yeah, it's it's a catch twenty two, isn't it? Because you want these big stars to come to your your quaint ground and, and play on your muddy pitch in front of your fans and you know down the road from your local pub. At the same time, the money from going, oh, you want to go to to the Emirates, you want to go to Tottenham, you want to go to West Ham and, and get get the money for your club, but also experience the day out. So the best option for these clubs is probably getting a replay, isn't it? So you, you, uh, best of both worlds. I understand what you mean about the seeding, but that can then limit the factor of if there is a all Premier League tie and you're a, a League Two team against another League League One team or a League Two team, then it's you almost I don't know. You can skip around. It feels like, doesn't it? You're playing. You're playing like a domestic game. Then, so I feel like there is things to be looked into. But at the moment, it's all right, isn't it? It's all right. We're enjoying it. We're still talking about it. As long as we still get these giant kins and these upsets, then it will always be special. I suppose as well. Just a, a kind of byproduct of the seeding would be is that, it, in theory, it would make it easy for the bigger sides to get through. And then obviously we wouldn't have, you know, as, as I said earlier, like of either Sheffield Wednesday or Fleetwood being guaranteed into the. Um, into the fifth round at least. Um, but moving away from one domestic cup competition onto another one uh, race tonight, we've got the start of the Carabao Cup quarterfinals um, coming up and, and talking about a little, small little club that has managed to make it um, to the um, to, to the quarterfinal stages. Of course, Charlton Athletic, not doing so well in League One at the minute. And I do apologise for calling Charlton a little club. I do, I do, again, from my childhood, remember that they were mainstays in the Premier League for a long time and then they're kind of falling on difficult spells at the minute, not going their way in League One um, as, as they would have liked this season, but they managed to make their way to a quarterfinal of a, of a Carabao Cup and again away at Old Trafford, you know. So for the players tonight, for the fans, uh, it's going to be a brilliant occasion. Flip side for Man United, it's a, it's a no-win situation really for them, isn't it? It is a case of they are expected to win. They are expected to progress. Um, Eric Ten Hag would, of course, love a very nice, easy 3-0 win and no injuries. And anything other than that, it probably starts to detract from it and, and become a bit of a, a kind of lose situation for them in a way. Yeah, that's the thing. Man United are either going to be uh, suffer a massive upset or just be the play around bullies again and and then get, still get criticism for not beating a good side, which has been... Uh, Going in, I think it's a run of seven wins in a row now, I think, which has come quite quietly. Um, yeah, Charlton a bit up and down. I think they won the last two. They're still a great achievement getting to this stage. It does feel like Man United are just gonna just gonna ease through this one. I feel like it's a, it's a really nice draw for them at home. Um Charlton will have a go. I've look at the last few games, they get a lot of shots off. And you know, with United's goalkeeping situation, you never know, do you? You never know. So Hopefully, maybe Charlton get a goal, make things interesting. What you don't want is just an early goal for United, and then it's it's a no contest. But it's it's it'd be looking for a good game for Ten Hag, and this this is what he would have picked, I think. Yeah, yeah. You wonder if whether or not Charlton's players have been uh, practicing aiming at, at the goalkeeper's legs after David Hayes' error against Everton on Friday night. Um, the other quarterfinal tonight is Newcastle at home to Leicester. Is there pressure now on, on Eddie Howe and Newcastle after what happened at the weekend? There, there was one or two people speaking before the, the FA Cup third round, speaking about, oh, Newcastle might be an outside bet. I'm not sure we can call them outsiders anymore, given how well they're doing in the Premier League this season. The money that they've got behind them, you know, what's happening this season is expected to become the norm for Newcastle, maybe doing a bit earlier than others expected, but Newcastle challenging that big six dominance. You would have expected them to go far in the FA Cup and especially uh, away to, to Sheffield Wednesday. No disrespect to them, but they're not the team that they once were. So is the pressure now on Eddie Howe's team to respond tonight, get into a quarterfinal at home as well? You, They are favourites against Leicester. This is a chance for them to get silverware as well. 
that, you know, whenever you get to a quarterfinal, your, your eyes should start lighting up as a player. So does this increase the pressure on Eddie Howe's side tonight, perhaps a little bit more than it was before the weekend? I think it does. I think it does. I think that's a disappointment. They're, they're the sort of games and if you're the division above a team and you're playing that well in the Premier League, you feel like they're the games you can sort of breeze through with four or five changes. And it will be a big disappointment because they'll see other teams going through and they're thinking it should have just been in the hat at least just to have it as an option. But yeah, this is more important, isn't it? Once you're in the quarterfinals and that becomes that becomes priority and they'll really fancy their chances against Leicester no matter what happened in that FA Cup game, to be honest. I think they they beaten quite, quite comfortably, didn't they, on Boxing Day recently and I can't really see anything other than a Newcastle win, especially with that bounce back factor and they're doing well in the Premier League. It's, it's t- tricky, isn't it? You either go one way or the other. You can say, look, we're doing really well. Let's let's concentrate on this now or or you sort of take your eye off the ball and think, look, the Champions League spot is available here but I think even with that as a distraction, I think that was a one-off FA Cup exit and um, you can't really see a way through for Leicester, especially without uh, James Madison as that spark. It's, it's really not looking great uh, for Leicester fans at the moment and uh, I'll be surprised if Newcastle don't have a response here. Yeah, and you wonder if, whether or not Newcastle were to go on the way. This is the kind of the kickstart. You see so many teams in recent years, you know, Liverpool on the clock winning one trophy and it leads to the rest. Man City as well, you know, winning and, and whether or not this could be the start of Newcastle's run. But they've only got one more chance here this season. So so they might as well make the most of it. Um, tomorrow night's quarterfinals, uh, Nottingham Forest host Wolves. This is a game that probably both it's that weird one as well, isn't it? There I'm saying that when you get to a quarterfinal, that's when your eyes should start lighting up as a player. But but for these two sides, I think they've got slightly bigger fish to fry. Obviously, at the wrong end of the Premier League table, fighting for their lives. A cup run is always a nice distraction. But if they had to pick between winning tomorrow night or three points in the next Premier League games, I think we know exactly what the answer will be from both camps. Yeah, it's, it's a mad, isn't it? You think Wolves and Forest, and you, you've got a picture in your head of where they would be in the Premier League. And Forest now four places above Wolves, although there's no need... It's three points in it, so it's not it's not a massive gap. But all of a sudden, it's looking like a more of a free hit for Forest than it is for Wolves. You think at this stage of the season, you think Wolves might be in tenth and they might be able to go full strength. I think we don't really know what Forest's full strength is. Obviously, they've got so many players, and, and Cooper, Steve Cooper, is trying to find his way forward, and they're already looking at things in the January window. But it's, it's tricky one to call. I, I think. Wolves, that game against Liverpool as well and in the FA Cup and what a disappointment that ended up being despite um, getting the replay. It could work in um, one or two ways, couldn't it? You could either bounce bounce back and go and want to want to punish another team after being, feel like you're wronged or at the same time you could um, let your heads drop and think, you know, it's not going our way at the moment. Um, I think heartbreaks usually come in, in twos, maybe. I don't know. I feel like they follow one another sometimes and I feel like Forest, I feel like Forest could go and do them, yeah. And the final quarter final see Southampton uh, at home to Man City. You spoke there about a free hit for Forest. This is definitely a free hit for Southampton, you know, where they are, how they've been doing. I know they won in the FA Cup at the weekend, but the fans seem to already be against Nathan Jones and his style of football. Um, it's, it's not been there that long. Um, and Man City and the class that they have, the depth that they've got in their squad as well. I mean, there's there's only one winner in this, in one winner in this tie, isn't there? Yeah, I think even if you look at all the FA Cup games, you'd probably say who's the biggest favourites across across these two these two competitions in this rounds, and you'd probably say City. I mean, I think Nathan Jones alluded to the fact that it might have been a bigger job than he was expecting when he took over, and I think everyone else knew what sort of job he was, he was going into there. And already it looks like a mistake. I mean, Southampton, their best bet is probably going to be getting free kicks to James Ward-Prowse. I mean, it looks like the best route to go, and it's not the way they want to do things, but. If City don't go and get an early goal, then you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked, really. And 
it could get nasty. You could get nasty. But um, again, you, you never know. Someone's getting early goal towards Prowse, getting them through free kicks, few corners. But yeah, Pep Guardiola would be um, feeling quite comfortable at the moment. Rich, just finally, before we go this morning, uh, quickly your predictions for, for the four quarterfinals and, and who you think will make it into the semifinals. So obviously Man United, Charlton. I think I can guess this one. Yeah, I think I'll go for United, yeah. <laughs> well. uh, Newcastle, Leicester? Newcastle, I think. Yeah, repeat of Boxing Day for me. Forest against Wolves? I've gone for Forest. I think Wolves will be a bit down after that Liverpool game. And Southampton against Man City? Yeah, I've, I've gone for Man City for that one, yeah. Yeah, I think the same for us myself as well. I think home advantage could be uh, could be quite good um, for for some of the sides for Newcastle and for, for Forest as well uh, this week. But but we shall see. Um, Reese, thanks for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time as ever. Uh, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest on the January transfer window and everything else football related across Reach's national titles. But for now, it's goodbye. <laughs>